texting yet? Yes? All lined up? No? Not yet? I have Christmas Eve dinner, Christmas Day lunch, Christmas Day dinner, Boxing Day dinner. No wonder I have to walk two hours every morning. Well, they say it's not what you eat between Christmas and New Year that really matters. It's what you eat between New Year and Christmas. So uh, it's okay to eat. Well, we just uh, continued our series, as uh, Caroline has mentioned, on uh, Christmas character, and we've covered uh, Angel Gabriel. We have uh, looked at Zacharias. We have looked at Joseph and Mary. We have looked at uh, Shepherd, and today we want to look at wise men. And in two days' time on Christmas, we will look at none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. I look up uh, on Google to find out wise men and what are some of the merchandise that is happening using this brand called wise men. I realized that there are red, red wine uh, named wise men and there are men's clothing in New Zealand and Australia. Uh, also use the brand Wise Man and oil. There's a special type of oil. And uh, beer developed by, by, it says here, developed by our three Wise-ish uh, brewers. This beer is a balanced combination of pale <coughs> crystal and wheat malts, subtly infused with seasonal fruits and a hint of cinnamon, to make a very drinkable beer full of festive cheer. But we're not going to talk about beer or red wine or clothing, uh, but we're going to talk about what the Bible tells us about wise men. I want to tell you what the Bible does not say about wise men, and then I'll tell you what the Bible tells us about wise men. And the wise man account is only written in the Gospel of Matthew. It is not in uh, Luke or Mark or not even John Gospel. And sometimes many people wonder why there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Well, I think God wanted to give, a, give us a number of different angles uh, in order for us to grasp the full picture. So if we know... The purpose of the gospel, it helps us when we begin to study. Just like you want to take a photograph of, uh, of say, a plane, an aeroplane, for example, uh, you would have to take at least many angles to show comprehensively what a plane looks like. And so it is the same if you want to present a person. You can't have one angle. And if you know of someone has passed on, some famous person has passed on, and down the road, people begin to write about this person. There are three ways that people begin to write about the person usually. The first publication of the famous person usually begins with what the person did. Even when you read obituary, it's just what they did. And then later on, people become more interested in what the person said. So what they did first, and then what the person said. Uh, and so begin to publish collection of letters and speeches of what the person said. And then finally, after they, they wrote about what the person did or what the person said, then it comes the third stage which looks behind the words and deeds to discover what the person was 
examine their character, motivation, and what they were really like. So what the person did, what the person said, and what the person was. And if you look at the four gospels, you realize that the four gospels work around those three themes. Matthew, for example, and Luke concentrate on what Jesus said. Sermon on the Mount and many other things, you look at it. And Mark Gospel concentrate on what Jesus did. There's very little of what Jesus said, just one after another of what Jesus did. And then John Gospel, the last Gospel, is concentrating on what Jesus was, who He is, and took us behind the scene from the Synoptic Gospel. The first three Gospel is known as Synoptic Gospel, means view together. So John Gospel took us behind the scene that Jesus has conversation with Nicodemus, Samaritan woman, and many other things that does not appear in the Gospel. And Mark presents Jesus as the Son of Man. And Matthew presents Jesus as King of Jews. And that is why the wise man account is here, because Matthew wants to present to us Jesus as King of the Jews and Gentiles coming, bowing down to worship Jesus as King. So Mark presents Jesus as Son of Man. Matthew presents Jesus as King of Jews. Luke presents Jesus as the Savior of the world. And John, of course, trying to present Jesus as the Son of God. So each gospel has its unique concentration to give us a clearer and fuller picture of who Jesus really is, what He did, what He said, and who He really was. And so let me just read to you this account of uh, Matthew chapter 2, which is only in the gospel because Matthew wanted to present Jesus as King of the Jews. And so let me read to you 12 verses, and then I want to unpack it and give you uh, three points on what the text doesn't tell us about wise men and what it actually does. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they quote Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. 
Of course, we know that's not true. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, please take note of that. They came to the house, not the stable. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route or route. There are many important lessons for us to learn from this wise man. But we have to recognize and understand what the text does not say about wise men. There is a difference between faith, tradition, and superstition. And as Christians, we have to be wise and to distinguish between tradition, what the Bible says, or superstition. Just like as a pastor, I distinguish between fundamental doctrines, secondary, secondary doctrines, and just pure opinions. There are many things that we fight about. Many times it's just opinions. Or sometimes we fight over secondary doctrines that we cannot resolve. I, as a pastor, will only fight over the fundamental doctrines, which what the early church fathers always do. And that is why they are denomination, because they cannot agree on the secondary doctrines. And so we have to be wise to conserve our emotional energy to fight the right things so that the unity of the church can be preserved. There are many things in the Bible that we do not know. There are many things we do know. And in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belongs to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this, of this law. So there are things that we will not know. And I've come to the conclusion that when, the, when it's not revealed in the Bible, that means that information is not necessary for us to know. So we don't always need to quarrel and fight over things that the Bible is silent because we don't need to know. There are many things. For example, when Jesus will return, you can speculate, you can calculate and all that, but the, but the reality is that Jesus tells us we do not know. He will come at a time that we do not know. So let me just move on now then when we learn to distinguish between all these things, what the Bible does not say about the wise man. Three things the Bible did not say about wise men that we need to know. First and foremost, what the Bible does not say about the wise man. Number one, how many were there? The Bible did not say 
how many wise men came to Jesus? We don't know. Tradition tells us there were three of them. But this tradition is formed from the mention of the three gifts they presented to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so they say because there were three gifts, therefore there must be three wise men presenting three gifts. Uh, some people give us gifts, but there's two of us in the family, but we receive one gift. You know? Or you have a family of five, but you give one gift. You know? uh, it, it doesn't go that way. It doesn't mean to say that there are three, means, three gifts, mean there are three uh, people. And some draw from the text of Psalm 72, verse 10, because they say the kings of Sheba and Sheba shall offer gifts. And so the unnumbered travelers will turn into three kings. And most famously, our Christmas song, We Three Kings, uh, of course, is a musical testimony to this tradition. Uh, so again, the scripture never say how many wise men there were that came to Jesus. Most probably, from my reading, most probably they say that it can't be three. Uh, because for, to take such a long and arduous and dangerous trip, probably cover more than 1,000 miles. Uh, they wanted probably a larger entourage than three for safety's sake. So most likely it's not three. Uh, so we have to just accept that the Bible never say how many uh, uh, wise men there were. And secondly, what the Bible never say about the wise men is where in their east they came from. The Bible is also silent. It only say that they came from the east, but it never tell us where exactly east that they came from. Uh, but most probable uh, conclusion that they came from Persian and Babylonian site, which I will cover a bit uh, later on in my first point. But we just have to say that, well, the Bible never say where in the East they came from. It just mentioned that they came from the East. Did they come from China, India, Babylon, Persia? We do not know. We, what we do know is that they came from the East. What was the nature of the star, the guiding star? Was it actual star, which is a planet Jupiter, uh, often associated with the births of kings? Was it in conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn and the sign of a fish? Was it a comet actually acting erratically? And, and we don't know. It, it, again, the Bible is silent on that. And the third thing that the Bible did not tell us about the wise men is this. How long have they been traveling before they came to Jesus? As I said before, most of the uh, nativity scene present them at the present of the stable when Jesus gave birth, uh, uh, when Jesus was born that night, that the three wise men were there, the shepherds and all that. But the Bible did not tell us how long these wise men have been traveling before they came to Jesus. As I mentioned to you, they came to the house, not the stable. And probably, and, and if you look into the account after verse 12, King Herod said, ah, oh, they found this. And then he started to issue this edict to kill all the baby below the age of two. It suggests that probably Jesus was between either six months to 12, six months to two years old already when the wise men came to the house and present the gifts to uh, Jesus. Probably between six months 
and two years. So it's not when the night Jesus was born that the wise men came to uh, present the gifts to Jesus. Six months to two years. That's the best guess. So what the Bible does not say about the wise men on this tree. Perhaps, perhaps as we look at this account from these 12 verses, that the biblical record says so little who these men were, perhaps because the emphasis is upon what they did. The 12 verses tells us what the wise men did. Probably this is the emphasis that Matthew wants to bring across rather than who they were or where they came from, what they did is being recorded in these 12 verses. And so it is with that, uh, I want to move on now to the text to tell you what the Bible does say about the wise men. Verse 1 and 2 tells us that firstly, they came seeking the king of the Jews. That is what the text tells us. Their purpose of leaving wherever they came from is to seek for the king of the of the Jews. Look at verse 1 and 2. See, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Were these men Jewish? Why were they seeking this king? They seem to understood that there was a prophecy that there was a king who's going to be born here in Judah. Some days, they seem to have been exposed to the prophecy. And so therefore, the most probable guess is that they must have come from maybe Babylon, Persian regent travel thousand over miles to in search of this king of the Jews. And the probable guess is because, remember during the time of exile for 70 years, that the Jewish people went into exile for 70 years, first under the Babylonian Empire and then Persian Empire for 70 years. And in the 70 years, there was one man that lived right throughout the exile period. And who is that man? Daniel. Da Daniel. He was captured and went into exile at the age of between 14 to 17. And he served under many kings right into his 80s until the return of the people until the exile period ends. So during the 70 periods, he, rise, he rose to the highest rank and he had many, many influence among those people, the, those uh, interpreter of dreams, those magicians. He has great influence over them. Uh, he interpreted dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar that we can read about in uh, Daniel and all that. And therefore, most probable guess is that this wise man knew of the scripture has to be the influence of Daniel many years ago during the exile period. And therefore they are exposed to it and they were influenced by Daniel. 
And the simple implication of this text is that you don't know who you can influence. Read my recent trip back to Singapore, my sister gave me something that I've not seen. He gave me my kindergarten graduation certificate. With a tiny little photo of me when I was six years old. I've never seen this before. And when I look at it, I was shocked. It says, Jesus saves mission kindergarten. Jesus saves mission. I don't even know that I went to a, a Christian mission kindergarten when I was young. I said, what? And I went on the internet to try to look for Jesus saves mission, to try to track them down and maybe just give some words of affirmation to them. Hey, you saw some seed in me when I was very little as a six-year-old boy. And then seed began to flourish and I became a Christian and finally I became a pastor. 1974. Um, Jesus saves mission kindergarten. And this was a treasure to me that somebody so seed into my life when I was very little. And I was, when I was little, I remember I lived in an area where, where all this... Uh, uh, Sunday afternoon, there will be a group of Christian young people coming with guitar and singing right below our neighborhood area, singing Christian song and distributing biscuits and all that for sweets and all that. Uh, I said, they so sit into my life. They so sit into my life. And Daniel was like that too in that part of the region when he was in exile. He was not in despair. He believed in God, that He was there where He is supposed to be, and He just do the work of God there and stand for God in that hostile environment alone. Held the whole exile community together, faithfully standing up for God, rise through the rank and have a great influence over many, many, many people. And maybe because of His influence, they were exposed to Scriptures, and God used that miraculously, sovereignly, as a way to let these Gentiles, when Jesus was born, come and acknowledge Him as the King of the Jews. That the gospel is for the world at that moment. So they came seeking for the King of the Jews, and we are told here in this passage. Of course, we know King Herod was, was the King of the Jews at that time. He was the ruling king in Israel when Jesus was born. He became king of the Jews uh, through the favor of the Romans. In fact, he was not entirely, completely full Jew. He was half-breed. Uh, he was able and courageous, but jealous and cruel. He became uh, half-insane towards the close of his life, and he tried to murder everybody who seems to threaten his throne. These are insecure. People who are insecure uh, always try to control and he killed his wife, Marion, and he killed three of his own sons. He killed his, another son just five days before his own death. He commanded a large group of the nobles among the Jews to be assembled and killed at his death in order that there should be a sufficient amount of mourning. Herod, with all his pomp, his power, his pre prestige, his possessions and his position, he was not wise. He was a fool because he failed to follow the light he had been given. So he was not the real king of the Jew. The real king of the Jew is Jesus. 
who will rule over the entire world. Second thing that we were told about the wise men is that they came to worship Jesus. We were told that in verse 2 that we just read about, we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. We make this trip with the one focus and that is to worship Jesus. So they came to worship Jesus. And then down in verse 11, after they followed the star, they arrived at the house, they presented the gifts. It says here, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. I mean, I was, I was just closing my mind. After when I prepared my sermon, sometimes I try to close my eyes and imagine the scene. Sometimes when you prepare someone, you can use certain part of your brain. Um, and we shut your eyes, you just imagine the scene. When I was young, I, when I first became Christian, I used to read a Max Lucado book because he's, a, just, a, he's just an amazing man that can, can capture the scene for you. He can put, put the picture into words in the sense. And so imagine the scene here, a lowly, poverty-stricken couple with their child. And this prominent, wealthy man from the east, and I'm sure their home wasn't anything spectacular, and yet this man bow in worship to this baby. Worship before their king. What humility, what joy, and what reverence for God. And so to worship means to bow down and to pay homage. This man came to lower themselves before the king of the Jews. They worship Jesus. True worship is centered on Jesus Christ and nothing more. Worship is for Jesus. Worship is for Him. When we sing, it's for Him. To praise Him, to adore Him. Not just for us. It's for Him. If He gets nothing out of it, we won't get anything out of it. True worship is not about us. It's about Him. Unfortunately, Christian, we don't bow a lot. That is one thing that we, we don't do. Most other religions, they actually kneel and bow because there's something about posture. There's something about posture can direct your mind. You try to lie in bed and pray, it's different when you kneel down and pray because there's a way in directing your mind because our mind can easily wander. So certain type of posture actually does guide your mind in the way to focus. Just like if I want a serious meeting, it's good to sit around tables, isn't it? But if you want a casual kind of atmosphere, you want to sit around sofa, you know, relax in a sense. Because the environment atmosphere does create a, a mindset in a sense. And so bowing down uh, in, in proper posture is a, is a way to, in reverence for God. Whether you like it or not, when you see millions, thousands of of other faith, kneel together, bowing down. It's a very, very reverence act, in a sense. And in my own little way, uh, we used to kneel down and pray until, of course, you, you can't really kneel. In a, then you can sit. But in your own ways, posture does help to guide our mind. Uh, so worship is about Jesus Christ. Tony Evans says, Worship is the celebration of God for who God is and what God has done. 
Worship is a celebration of God for who God is and what God has done. It's strictly for Jesus Christ. God, not about us. And unfortunately, with the evolution of uh, uh, technology and all that, uh, churches become centered on us. Worship is about us, about entertainment and all that. But worship truly is about Jesus Christ. The best definition that I came across of worship is by William Temple, the Archbishop. Many years ago, he says this. He said, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of will to His purpose. All this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable your conscience, your emotion, your will is all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, guided by worshipping Him as a person. So they, the wise men, came to worship. We are told that they came to worship Jesus. They specifically came to worship Jesus. Thirdly, we are told in Matthew is that they came with great joy. They came with great joy. We don't know how long they, it took for them to make the journey. We don't know. It can be a long journey, but we don't know how long it took them. But they came with great joy. Just like in anything, when we kickstart, there's always great joy. But as time goes on, you get wet out. But they came with great joy. It says, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And listen to verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Finally, finally we found him. Finally, finally. They came with great joy. And let us not forget this was the Savior, the Messiah. The birth would forever change the world and bring joy to those that seek redemption. They came with great joy. Uh, joy needs to be the characteristics of Christians. It's maybe part of your, your characteristics as a Christian because part of the, you say the fruit of the Spirit is joy, isn't it? Love, joy, peace. And we often say this Christmas season, we often emphasize on these three fruits of the Spirit, love, Joy, peace, joy. Some people have all kinds of uh, a definition of joy, J-O-Y. They say, oh, you put Jesus first, and then you put others first, and then why you put yourself, and then you will have joy. That's true. Uh, or some say, uh, you turn that O into zero. Let nothing stand between Jesus and you, and you will have joy. Uh, however you want to put it, however you want to coin it, however you want to change it. Uh, but Christian, we have to have joy. We have joy because we know that and worship this God who knows everything, who is in control, who is sovereign. Our future is secure. Our past has been forgiven. Our present is lived with meaningful 
because the Holy Spirit lives with us and guides us. And when these wise men came to the house, eventually they were overjoyed. Finally. And of course, now we look forward to the second coming, isn't it? They overjoyed in the first coming, but now we look forward to the second coming, the promise that Jesus will return again someday when we do not know. Signs He has given, generous signs, yes. Specific signs, yes. But we still don't know exactly when. So they came uh, uh, to, it tells us the wise men came with great joy. Fourthly, they came to adorn Jesus with gifts. The text also tells us very clearly they came to present. They took this gift with them for however long they came to adorn Jesus with gifts. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. They present to Jesus gifts. And of course, there are great significance to the gifts that is being recorded here. Some of us, during this Christmas season, we put in some thoughts into buying certain gifts for certain people, isn't it? We put in some thoughts. Some of us, we don't. We just buy anything. You know, oh, leftover chocolate from last year or something like that, you know. Or this pot that I receive, I don't really need it. I wrap it and give it away or, or something like that. Uh, uh, but not the wise man. They did not kind of left over things, you know, and, and wrap it and give it to Jesus. They don't. They give Jesus the best because he's the king. Just much like, remember, the, the best, if there's only one sermon that I will preach, I will always preach about Mary anointing Jesus with the oil. That's my famous, favorite text of all time. Uh, Jesus, uh, Mary anoint the alabaster oil to Jesus. Because why? Because Jesus is precious to him. Because people may say it's such a waste and all that, but it cannot be a waste when this person that you adore and worship worth it. If you send your, your daughter or son to private school and pay $30,000 a year, I come to you and say it's such a waste. You could have sent it to public school. It's free. You buy a $20,000 diamond ring for your wife and I come to you and I say, it's such a waste. Of course it's a waste because the person means nothing to you. But when a person means everything to you, nothing is too good for the person. Is that not true? Nothing is too good. Nothing is too much or too wasteful for a person that you actually love. And they came to Jesus to adorn Jesus with gifts. Three gifts were mentioned there. The gold presents Jesus as king. Remember, Matthew Gospel is to present Jesus as king. And therefore, and Matthew slot in this part of the essential to bring across the point to his Jewish crowd that Jesus is king. Gold. In some countries, no one could approach a king without a gift. And the wise man brought him gold. The gift acknowledges him to be a king. It is 
definitely a fitting gift because gold is very appropriate for a king. It is a foretelling gift because it tells us in advance that Jesus will rule and reign. It is also a foreordained gift because God had already determined that he would bring and make his son king. So gold was a gift to acknowledge Jesus as king. And then the frankincense presents Jesus as priest. It's a, it's a, it's a herb. It's a, it's a kind of uh, spice. It's a herb. It, it, was, it was a priestly gift. It was used in worship at the temple. And when sacrifices were offered up to God, the frankincense was a gummy substance which came from a certain spices of tree. It releases a sweet-smelling fragrance. Use it as, a, as in the temple. Offer fragrance to God. And there is a gift there because it presents Jesus as our priest. And you read the study, the whole book of Hebrews, it presents Jesus as a superior priest over all these high priests. Have to present sacrifice to the temple once a year, but Jesus was a permanent one. Present once and for all the Lamb of God, take away the sins of the world once and for all. No need to repeat. It is finished. That's what Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. So the frankincense presents Jesus as a priest. And then the myrrh presents Jesus taking away our sin. Or you want to use a theological word, it's called propitiation. Myrrh is a substance used to embalm dead bodies. It reminds us of why and him, why Jesus came into the world. And that is, to sacrifice his life for us. On Christmas Day, two days' time, before the service, we're going to show a three-and-a-half-minute clip. And you're going to see the interspere of his birth and his death to tell us the preempt of why Jesus was born. And right from the start in Matthew chapter 2, the wise man already tells us who this Savior is is going to be. He's going to be a king, he's going to be our priest, and he's going to be our sacrifice, Lamb of God. Live on earth for 33 years, die on the cross for us, and save us. Much like in Luke chapter 2, Simeon says this to Mary. He said, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So here you go. They came to Jesus to adorn Jesus with gifts, presenting Jesus, telling us who, what kind of man he's going to be. What kind of man he's going to be. He's going to be the king, he's going to be a priest, and he's going to be our sacrifice, dying on the cross for us, and redeem us. Lastly, what the wise men did. Last point, they listened to warning. They hid the warning from God, from the angel, from dreams. And in verse 12, it tells us this. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. God warned the wise men in a dream that they were also in danger 
and they will return to their homeland by a different route. So they heeded the message of the Lord, and they went a different way and survived the rage of Herod the king. So another simple application here is that heed God's warning. Listen to him. They had told Herod they would return, but they were told not to do so. They choose to obey God rather than the earthly king, isn't it? They did not try to try outthink or reason God. They did not try to persuade Herod to come and worship the child. And interestingly, when you really think about it, King Herod was just only a few miles away from where Jesus was born. And when he asked all the all his priests and all that to tell him where he's going to be, where this king is going to be born, and when they told him, he never even bothered to go and worship this king. So the wise man here in the scripture tells us these five things about this wise man. And all that we can do is add in the word still, isn't it? Wise man, that's what we always see on the Christmas card. Wise men still seek Jesus. Wise men still seek Jesus. Wise men still, wise men and women here still worship Jesus. Wise men and women came to Jesus with great joy. Wise men and women came to adorn Jesus with gifts. With gifts. What gifts can you bring to Jesus? And wise men and women still listen to the warning. Well, during this Christmas season, let me close off with this simple story that I came across a couple of uh, years ago. It was a story about a mother, an expectant mother. He walked through the snow to the home of a missionary friend where she knew she could find some help. In a short way down the road from the mission house was a steep gully spanned by a bridge. And as the young woman stumbled forward, her birth pains overcame her. She realized she could go no further. She crawled under the bridge. And there alone between the trestle, she gave birth to a baby boy. She had nothing with her except the heavy padded clothes she was wearing. One by one, she removed the pieces of her clothing and wrapped them around her tiny son. Around and around like a cumbersome cocoon. And then finding a discarded piece of cloth, she put it over herself and lay exhausted beside her baby. The next morning, the missionary drove across the bridge in her four-wheel drive to take a Christmas basket to a Korean family. And on the way back, as she neared the bridge, the car suddenly died out of petrol. And getting out of the car, she started to walk across the bridge and she heard a faint cry beneath her. Well, you can call that coincidence, but in the sovereignty of God, things always happen that way. They say coincidence seems to happen more often when you pray. 
And so she crawled under the bridge to investigate. And then she found the tiny baby, warm but hungry, and a young mother frozen to death by the baby's side. And so the missionary took the baby home and cared for him. And as the boy grew, he often asked his adopted mother to tell him the story of how she had found him. And so on Christmas Day, on his 12th birthday, he asked the missionary to take him to his mother's grave. Once there, he asked the mother to wait a distance away while he went to pray. The boy stood beside the grave with bowed head, weeping. And then he began to disrobe himself. And as the astonished missionary watched, the boy took off his warm clothing piece by piece and laid it on his mother's grave. Surely, the missionary thought, he won't take off all his clothing, will he? The missionary thought, he'll freeze. But the boy stripped himself of everything, putting all his warm clothing on the grave. He knelt naked and shivering in the snow. And as the missionary went to him to help him dress again, she heard him cry, sobbing to the mother he never knew, never met. And the missionary heard these words. Were you colder than this for me, my mother? Were you colder than this for me, my mother? And he kept repeating this phrase. Were you colder than this for me, my mother? You know, my friend, Christmas time, when we really think about it, when Christ came, he stripped himself of every royal garment and entered into our world to show us the way. Because of who Jesus is. He came. He's going to be king. He's going to be a priest offering sacrifice on our behalf. And there's no sacrifice other than himself on the cross for us to redeem, to save us. And so the birth of Jesus on Christmas is the starting point, the beginning of what eventually Jesus did on Easter, on Good Friday. So to summarize up of what wise men did, they saw, they followed, and they worshipped. This is what the wise men did. They saw the star, they followed, and when they found Jesus, they worshipped him. May this be your Christmas too. That you bow your knees, bend your knees, bow your heads, and worship Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for coming to us. Not just coming to us, but the way you came continue to baffle me.
that we thinking that you will come in red carpet, millions of angels, greatest orchestra. After all, this earth belongs to you. You are the creator of everything. But you did not come to us that way, that you came to us as a humble child. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for stripping off every royal garment and came down to redeem us and save us. And today, we want to be like the wise men of old. They saw, they followed, and they worshipped. May each one of us here today make that decision that we bow our heads, we bend our knees and worship Jesus. May this Christmas season be a season that we remember who Jesus is. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We bless you. Amen.